0: All right, thank you for that initial encouragement. Okay, time, time to uh, get it on. Good morning, everyone. I hope you brought your uh, outline with you from last week. If, if perhaps you didn't, I think there were some extra copies made to catch you, up, uh, catch you up this morning. Just a real brief, quick announcement. There will not be food after the service today. I know you're, I know you're thinking every week now we're going to have lunch after the service and uh, we just determined this is too much work for us men putting that together every week, so we won't we won't be having that, having that today. But we will have uh, food for your soul in the Word of God. So open your book up to a e- book of Ephesians again, and your notes. And we will ask God to honor our time together for His glory and for our good and benefit today. Okay. Let's do that. Father, we come into your presence in and through and only because Jesus Christ, what he has done, who he is, the sacrifice that you provided for us in your only begotten, unique, only one of a kind, God-man, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, and a total death that was endured, complete uh, for us in our behalf. And I, my prayer is that everyone here this morning could say that, not just for sinners, but for me. He died me, for me in my place, for my sin, and that I could be forgiven. And what, what, what is a greater joy in life than to be able to say, my sin has been forgiven, and I am right with God and at peace with Him. And in the midst of a, of a fallen world and all that we experience in this life, um, we need to be reminded from your word of who you are and what you've done and what you've said and, and how your word is our bread of life. So have your way in our hearts this day, this hour, next hour. We pray and, and we, we, we need to change. We need to change. And we ask that you would accomplish that for your good and the good of your church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Everybody would say? Amen. All right. Ecclesia. Oh, did I say Ephesians? Yeah. Ecclesiastes. Thank you. hmm First mistake I've made this week. Right there. And uh, Ecclesiastes. Thank you. <laughs> Uh. and it's in the book and it's God's word and it's for our benefit for our benefit and you know some of you people have mentioned to me uh, different, different responses of reading through Ecclesiastes thank you if you did that and God forgive sin if you didn't and you got this week to get back at it and just work your way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of the things uh, that people have said to me is, it just seems like there's a lot of repetition there. You know why there's a lot of repetition there? Repetition is, you know this little saying, is the mother of what? All learning. Plus, you need to hear some things over and over again before they really sink in to our thinking. And I want to say, I, I, really, I really believe that the repetition... Uh, Wearsby we used to say all the time, God doesn't repeat himself um, because he stutters, but he repeats himself in the Word of God because of what he's communicating to us that he wants us to be sure that, that we get it. Now, Solomon is taking us on a journey, by the way, a journey that he himself went on, not for his good necessarily, right, at the end of his life, right? God's sovereign in all of this, but you get what I'm saying, takes us on a journey on what the search, what, what, what the search for meaning in life is like without God, what it's like um, under the sun. And so just that second point, I'm not going to cover all of these, but it is significant that Ecclesiastes is necessary for us because it is demonstrating to us what life, the reality that life must have meaning. You got that down? It must have we talked about purpose. it must And I'm, I'm trusting from just reminding you of that last week, if I may oh, here we go. We've got some overheads today, too, that if I were to have handed out a um, three by five today, and I would, would ask everyone, in one sentence, write your purpose in life and back it up from the scriptures that the only question you would have for me is how many verses do you want? Because if there is anything that you could convey that you understand where you came came from, why you're here, what your purpose is, is in life, and where you're heading for eternity. Can you say amen to that? So you are so clear on that, but ask someone without confidence in Jesus Christ, that question. And that's what uh, Solomon is, is developing here. And Hill and Watson, I think, do a good job just by way of reminder of a couple of the, uh, of the quotes. Solomon is, he is contending that there is nothing under the sun that is on this level in this life, on a human level of giving, of giving meaning to life. That isn't apart from self, Right? Or things. Even if, when some level of fulfillment or satisfaction is achieved, what death is waiting at the end. Frustration and adversity are unavoidable, and answers to the hard questions of life are not forthcoming. I always benefit from Doctor Wiersbe. Don't you as well? Can you say amen to that? Solomon experimented with life and discovered that there was no lasting satisfaction. Possession, pleasure, power, prestige. At everything, yet his life was empty. There are a lot of people in that category. There is no need for you and me to repeat these experiments. <laughs> right? Amen to that. Thank you for Dr. Wiersbe. A corporate CEO said this, I've, I have spent my life climbing the corporate ladder only to find when I reached the top it was leaning against the wrong wall. or a a gentleman who was a political strategist and uh, a writer of a number of different books. I forget his first name. It starts with L. Wood says this. And by the way, look at your Bible. Look at your Bible in in chapter 1, verse 3. 1-3, because this is the main question that he's asking getting us into the book. I'm going to come back to that, but verse 3. What advantage, what benefit does man have in all his work, all his labor, which he does under the sun. He's not saying you can't accomplish something. He's saying when it's all said and done, what's the benefit? Particularly as it relates uh, to eternity. So I've never, I think you never heard of this guy, but I think MacArthur's got a good statement. He says, The only fulfilled life is one lived in proper recognition of God and service to him. Now just stop. For a moment let me read that again and ask yourself are you saying yes and amen to that The only fulfilled life is one lived in proper recognition of God and service to him Any other kind of life is frustrating and pointless This book shows that if a person perceives each day of existence labor and basic provision as a gift from God and accept whatever God gives then that person lives an abundant life. However, one who looks to be satisfied apart from God will live with futility regardless of his accomplishments because he will not answer the main questions in life. Now, okay, you you, you read the book and you say, yep, this is life under the sun, and this is what life is like for a person who doesn't know God and see his ultimate purpose in life to, to glorify God and to please the Lord as those verses that we looked at last week, all of them that give our very goal and ultimate blessing in life in living for the one who's redeemed us. So I just want to stop and ask you a very, I think, obvious question to bring this to bear upon our souls just for a moment. Guy wrote a book years ago and it was re- referenced to apologetics and the person of Christ. The book that he wrote was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. How many have ever heard of that book? Yeah. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Let me ask you about living your goal this past week and ask myself. Or let me ask it, this question to you. What, what is the evidence from your life and my life this past week that we are really living for the one that we say we want to glorify? Because, you know, God knows our hearts, correct? But to make a profession of the faith and fail to be walking with the Lord or living for the Lord, you understand what that means? You have a walk with the Lord. You, you, you know, in evidence of this last week, observation with, with conversations with other people that you've had, or fulfilling your purpose and in, in presenting Christ to, to others, or praying for others, or serving others? What, what, what evidence is there that you are seeking to live that very goal that you profess? Because if you are not living for the Lord, then you're either living for yourself or for things, right? And if you're living for yourself and for things, no matter what your profession is, that's That's a different baggage. Whatever that is, your life is going to be as mundane and meaningless and insignificant and unfulfilling as an unbeliever. So we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, are we getting that message of the reality that the very purpose that we would would claim is being evident in our lives? And if we're not, then... We just may be stuck in the same cycle. Uh, you know, getting up tomorrow and same time and same breakfast and same job and get home and watch Andy Griffith and go to bed and next day get it up and do it all over again. And all of a sudden stop and think, oh, wait, wait a minute, what is my life meriting for the glory of God? So we need to constantly ask ourselves, not only have we trusted Christ, but are we living for the one that we've trusted? Can everybody say amen to that? I think it's appropriate we just, I don't want to run through these notes and miss that very, very emphasis. The only fulfilled life is one lived in proper recognition of God and service to him. And, and that's the one that God blesses. It's a wonderful thing to be right with God and to have his hand of blessing on your life. And as we were talking this morning, that doesn't necessarily mean everything in life's going wonderful. But to be able to put your pillow, your head on the pillow, put your pillow over your head. No, put your head on your pillow at night and say, by the grace of God, I've sought to live my goal. And to the best of my ability, by his grace, I'm right with him. And to be able to have confidence in. Okay, we talked about the book title. Hebrew name here for the preacher. Everybody at your test this morning. Koheleth, remember? That's significant to your life somehow. I don't know how, but that's the word. Verse 2, write the preacher, Koheleth. And he is preaching this message, and it's a message even about that he experienced himself, sadly enough, and a warning to us, and we covered that. So I'm not going to go over every blank here. You can check with somebody else if, if you can get it. So uh, the author uh, ruled uh, Israel for how many years? Forty years, Solomon. Forty years. About 931, according to um, Gleason Archer, about 931 to, excuse me, about 931 to about 971 B.C., some 40 years. Greatly privileged, privileged, greatly blessed. But down under number three, author, right? Most conservative scholars assert Solomon as an author writing Ecclesiastes later in life as a, everybody say it, as a what? What? As a warning, now take your fingers and turn to the end of the book. To the end of the book. Of Ecclesiastes, not Ephesians. Okay. And look with me at chapter 12. Verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be what? Ah, there we go. He gets to it. He does get to it. And he is warning us throughout the book. Beyond all this, be warned. Writing of many books, endless and excessive devotion to to the books is weary to the body. The conclusion, the end, the ultimate end is this. When all has been heard and said and done, what? Fear God and live for him. Keep his commandments. You say, we just finished the book, let's move on to something else. No way. Back to first chapter. So it's a warning. His life, both his life and the book itself. Again, MacArthur says, Ecclesiastes represents the painful autobiography of Solomon who for much of his life squandered God's blessings on his own personal pleasure rather than God's glory. He wrote to warn subsequent generations not to make the same error or the same, same mistake. And then we have the theme theme of the book. You don't need to look at your Bible, because people have been saying it to me this week when you see me saying, All is Yeah, all is vanity. And what is the point of the all is vanity? The word hevel, the idea life is a vapor. Just like James says, right? And he, that's a warning from James likewise to not plan make your plans without without God. Go here and there, and all these plans. Just remember this: uh, you don't have uh, rights as to your life. It's a vapor, appeareth for a little while, then vanisheth away. Correct. Turn over Psalm one forty four. Remember that verse there. So that's part of the idea that he is driving home with us. Psalm one forty four. Blessed be the Lord my Rock, verse one. Oh, well, let's start verse 3, Psalm 144, 3. O Lord, what is, what's it say, everybody? What is that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath, but his days are like a passing shadow. Hmm. Our oldest is uh, on her way. We pray this morning for God to be merciful and giving our daughter Greta a safe trip uh, back from from West Virginia to spend a few days with us. And her birthday is at the end of the week. And I had to ask Deborah this week, how old is our daughter? (laughs) And um, then Friday, our oldest grandson turned 21. And I'm just going, how did this happen so fast? Because I can remember the day and Darius was being born and in, in South America, there in, in Brazil, and I can remember the day we're sitting waiting to hear something about our daughter having this firstborn. And now, whew, here it is. So life really is. Now, I, I understand some of you here this morning that that really doesn't ring home with you because, you know, if you're 16 and, and you meet somebody that's 30, you go, wow, are you old, right? <laughs> um, but you'll get it later on. Plus, you aren't guaranteed the years. We're not guaranteed the years. So flip over that page one. How's this for a quick review? I'm not getting stuck so far. Amen. And the other aspect of this uh, word for vanity is not only life is fleeting, but it's also the multi-purpose metaphor, as Reich and Well said, for the futility of life in a fallen world. And when you get out of the nonsense of pretending that this is your best life now, you realize life does have lots of troubles and heartaches and burdens. Amen? And we're always praying as elders when we have our time of prayer, how much time we're going to likewise spend upon who's going to have surgery, who's cancer, who's this situation, that situation, and when we're... Attentive to one another. That's why we need each other. We need the Word, but we need each other to pray for one another and encourage one another and bear one another's burdens. Amen? Because we we are frail. And and there is a futility of life. Uh, Remember, the NIV says they're meaningless of meaningless. There are people who believe that. Remember, somebody described the book of of, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, with reference to life for a lot of people every day being Groundhog Day. Remember that silly movie? If you don't and don't know it, don't waste your time, okay? But life being, somebody else described it, life can become like a cosmic merry-go-round. And then all of a sudden you get to a point in life, oh, wait, wait, what is What's this all about? What do we accomplish? Who's going to, does anything that I've done, how's that going to impact the world. Oh, I know that if I could just be a you know, movie star or something, you know, it's interesting how people that accomplish, so many people accomplish so much in life that everybody that know their name. Then they go out in public and they wish everybody to leave them alone. Amen? I mean, there it is. There it is in so many ways. Melville makes that point. But the reality is because of the fact that we live in a fallen world. So I think we reminded ourselves last week, he's driving home, life is fleeting for everybody and it's futile for a whole lot of people uh, living day to day and caught in a cycle and on their way to the fact that we're all going to end up at the same place of death. And then what? It's appointed unto it man, wants to die after this what? You're going to stand before the Creator. And the only real question is, what have you done with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And I, I, I know I've mentioned it before, but the older I get, the more I'll repeat myself, and I'll just call it biblical, okay? But uh, the best testimony I ever heard was from Brian Dilly, and I'm just getting to know him and ask him about his his own walk with the Lord or whatever and I asked him that old question. Have you ever asked anybody this question? Um, If you were to die today and stand before the God of heaven and he'd say why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer? And his comment was, I wouldn't give one. I would just point to the Son. Amen? Has there ever been a better answer than that? I would just point to the Lord to the Lord Jesus Christ and that says it all. The one who said what? I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and what no man comes to, Father, but but through me. Amen. So, nature of the book, Solomon's focus is primarily philosophical and experiential. That's where people are at. Not theological. Now, nearly 40 times Elohim, God, is mentioned in the book. And from time to time, we'll see he bunts, bounces above um, the sun, but the purpose is, it's just referencing him. He's not doing a thus saith the Lord and developing a th- theology in the book. And as Hill and Watson, again, are very helpful, say that's not the primary purpose. This is, this is not like uh, uh, studying uh, the book of Ephesians. <laughs> Correct? Long ways from that, but profitable for us. Okay, under the sun, 29 times, is a metaphor for the quest of meaning from an earthly perspective. We got that now, don't we? Life under the sun is about observation, experience from, from his perspective and the perplexities of life. Why is there evil in this world? Why does a good man die, according to us, a good man die early and a bad man, you know, I'm saying from a human level. There are perplexities in this life. Why children? I mean, we watch the evening news and our world is filled with evil. By the way, talk to somebody that was in our men's last breakfast and find out the sermon that we listen to that answers this challenge to answer that particular question and it will really encourage your heart. And it relates to the sovereignty of God and all things ultimately working out to His good and His glory whether you totally understand it or not. Because faith comes in here and the reminder there is a God and you are not him. Amen? So there is an answer to that. Whereas says under the sun is just down here on this earth. (laughs) And if life then, if life, this life is all there is and nothing brings a net gain to it at the end, then what's the point of our existence? The point of our existence well, it's, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Really? Come on. Is that it? Or just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we what, die. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But there's something beyond that. So we've got this uh, idea of under the sun. We got to that um, last week. There's the word, obviously, the word wisdom. at same word, hakmah, that's used in the book of Proverbs, and it's about 50 times either talks wisdom or wise with reference to some of the uh, distinctions that he is he is making in the book with reference to life observed and experienced. But it's important for us to remember nobody on the face of this earth, nobody on the face of this earth, even like somebody like Solomon, who was given wisdom beyond any other human being other than the Savior that at the bottom, please note, a wise man remains subject to the potential of foolish choices. And he made them. And he suffered. And I was reading in Leviticus. I just got through Leviticus this week in my reading, things that stood out to me. Um, One in particular, I think I had it marked. Yeah, Leviticus 13. Turn there for a moment. Leviticus 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 13. Leviticus 13, verse 40. Okay, 1340. Are you there? Now if a man loses the hair of his head, he is bald, he is clean. I like that verse. I just, that really doesn't have anything. I just, it was kind of just a little humor right in there for some of you. We're still wondering what's... Okay, but I I did want to point out, I think it's toward the end of the book, chapter 27, I think it's 27, a very futile attempt at any uh, humor with this solemn group this morning. Mm. All the... uh, 26, all the blessings, all the blessings. Uh, Five of you are going to chase 100... You know, um, a, 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 th- a thousand, or, excuse me, a hundred, hundred will chase 10,000, all the blessings, verse 12, and I will walk among you and you, will b- and be your God and you shall be my people, and he repeats that. And then he flips it the other side concerning their rebellion. And look at this. Um, if you do not, verse 14, obey me and do not carry out all those commandments, uh, down to verse 17, I will set my face against you so that you shall be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when no one is pursuing you and if after these things you do not obey me then i will punish you what's it say next wow um look down at the end of verse 21 seven times down at the end of verse 24 seven times down at the end of verse 28 i will punish you seven times for your sin i get the impression sin costs a lot what do you think it always promises more than it produces, as to good in our lives. Think about that. Seven times I'll bless you beyond imagination, but you you rebel against me. Now we understand the New Testament purpose of the law to reveal our sin, but my oh my, talk about costly. And I'm I'm pointing that out because Solomon experienced that. Loss of the kingdom, yeah, everything, splitting so forth. Okay, so a, f- a wise man can make foolish choices, and um, you may know an awful lot, but remember Paul said knowledge has a tendency to puff you up like a toad. Amen? So be humble or be humbled. Be humble or be humbled. Now, we've got this issue that magnifies the futility of life. I've already mentioned it, but I'm on page three now. You're on page three? Did I miss a blank that you're dying over anything? Okay because you don't get all the blanks, you lose your salvation, right? (laughs) Okay? But over 30 times, what compounds the reality of futility of life is the issue of evil. And you don't think that that's true. Look over in chapter 4. Chapter 4, look at how he drives this home. I mean, this is, yeah, one of those places you go, wow, yeah, that kind of sounds bad. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then I looked against all the against all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on one side, their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the who were already dead more than the living who are still living. Better off than the both of them is the one who has never existed. Hmm. Wow. Chapter 5, Verse 16. None of these are our life verses, are they? 5.16. This is also grievous evil. Exact, exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Wow. So from a human perspective, uh, Wiersbe says, if there's one truth that Solomon is emphasizing in the book, it is the certainty of the reality of death. No matter what Solomon enjoyed or accomplished, the frightening shadow of death was always hovering over him the great equalizer of all of us. So we're back to that next key phrase. These are key phrases, key words in the book, and that is down to D, what profit or what advantage? And that's the question being asked, again, back in verse 3, and it's a rhetorical question, what he's saying. Back in verse 3, the rhetorical question is, Nothing! What is the advantage of it all at the end of one's life without hope for eternity? That, that's his point. And so in light of that, we, we, we realize um, yitron y- is the word here. Its basic meaning is that which is left over, this lack of surplus or gain, is what leads to Solomon's persistent pessimism. Pessimism. But we've got a great answer for that. And that is this, what did Jesus say? Matthew 8, 36. What does it profit a man to what? Gain the whole world and lose his son. Lose his soul, excuse me, lose his soul. And what did he say? Okay, so it does matter. It does lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Yeah, it does matter. Or for those over 60... As Tennessee Ernie Ford said, another day older and deeper in debt, St. Peter, don't you call me for I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. So many of you knew that, but only over 60, okay? I just, just for us, over 60, that was it, you know? I owe my soul to the company store. So from time to time, he does jump above the sun, and he says, different times, this little phrase, "There's nothing better for a man." And he says, "There's nothing better for a man than to enjoy life." Periodically, Solomon will briefly get above the sun and recall that life is a gift from God to be enjoyed, to be enjoyed People. Aiken says, "I try to find satisfaction." and created things rather than the creator and creator and seeking satisfaction. Anything and anyone other than God is idolatry. Search does not work because nothing, because created things cannot bring ultimate satisfaction. It's not that pleasure, money, stuff, sex, or success are bad things in and of themselves, but when they become ultimate things to us, they let us down. You see, a good thing turned into a God thing becomes a bad thing it becomes, and everybody say it, it becomes what? Idol. We, we will see throughout this book that success, possessions, pleasure, and even religion are ultimately meaningless. They look like they can bring us true happiness, but it is a mirage. The problem is that none of these things is ever enough, and they do not last. Again, havel, that is um, our word there for vanity, havel, carries the idea of fleeting and meaningless. Whatever you try to build your life on other than Jesus is ultimately utterly meaningless. And yet, life is a gift, and Solomon is saying that to us more than one time. Oh yeah, here's what uh, Voltaire said about life. He said, I hate it, yet I'm afraid to die. Yeah, great mind. But it's true. And yet, life being a gift, so we have these great, Reminders, like from First Timothy six seventeen instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainties of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Yeah. And we know that's the issue here. We can enjoy, or let me, let me say it uh, this way to us this morning, if I can. Who, who is it? In fact, I think I've got the notes over here you know who who is it that is able to enjoy life the most who can do that and and i am I'm, I'm suggesting it's the one who realizes where all these blessings come from it's the one who the one who knows god the one that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation shadow what what's but other than that, what, what are you going to bring this all as accomplishment to yourself? Let me give you another reason why the, the, the reality of life as a gift from God is, is just such a blessing to us in, in understanding life. And that is, uh, th- those who look at life and all of their choices realize the choices that we make matter to the God of heaven. Every choice. So this isn't futile or empty. Be be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, what? Is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing the fact as a believer, knowing the fact as a believer that you came here today and you know that your purpose is not about yourself. And so you came and you asked yourself the question, how, you know, we've got a little booklet called How to Walk into Church, and you ask yourself the question, how can I be a blessing? How can I be encouragement? How can I be a means of sanctification in somebody else's life today? I, I didn't come with the mentality, I'm going to come and sit and plop and wait for somebody to talk to me. But you came with the mentality as you're going to speak to somebody, you encourage somebody, you want to tell somebody that you're praying for them, and you know that those choices matter. They're not only known, but they matter to the God of heaven. You know that. And that compounds your purpose in life, that what I have, choices I'm making for his glory and the good of other and the, proposi- prop- the propagation of the gospel, every effort matters to God. Matters to the God of heaven. So again, I just ask myself and you today, you know, am I... Am I living for the Lord? Um. Another reason that we can enjoy the gifts that God gives to us to enjoy in this life is that you can enjoy life knowing that you don't have to die as a fool. Now turn with me just by way of reminder. You'll get there and you'll say, oh yeah, I remember that. But I want to go there Luke chapter 12, I believe it is. Yeah, Luke chapter 12. 37. Okay. Your choices matter. Hmm. Chapter 12, verse 16, remember? Jesus told him a parable. land of a rich man was very productive. Amen. And he began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? We'll build a bigger shed, right? 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my, all my grain and my goods. Sounds like a good businessman. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, but God, Somebody told me recently that R.C. has a plaque in his home or where he lived, he's with the Lord now, that said, but God, (laughs) okay? But God said to him, you what? You fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So you in Christ, and he's your hope, No, you're not going to die as a fool. As a matter of fact, you just get overwhelmed thinking about what God has in store for you in eternity to come. Amen? Wow. Yeah. So life is such a gift to us because we know the giver, and we know all that he has given to us and said to us about what what is in store for us and that our choices that we make every day have significance to the God of heaven. One more passage about that, I think. Turn over to Second uh, Timothy. Paul's uh, last letter here to Timothy. Chapter 4 then. You can go to chapter 5 if you want to, but I want to be in chapter 4. Okay? So, w- look at verse 7. Where, what, where are we at with Paul's life? Where are we at? I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. So where's he at in his life? What does he know? It's, it's the end. Yeah, yeah. So what does he say in verse 8? In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing, his coming, Christ. That's you and I. That's you and I. There is a judgment seat of Christ. There is rewards. Why, Why there's rewards? I have no idea except to motivate us to live for him now. But the greatest reward will be with him and not even know what sin is. Amen? Not even know about hospitals, whatever else. So it matters. That's what I'm saying again. It matters. It matters. It matters right now as we as we live for him. We can enjoy, we can enjoy life knowing him and all that he has done and has planned, has planned for us. So main message message then. Uh, and main benefits of this book. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, all right, I need a couple of these because you need the blank. Solomon's proved, now at the bottom page three. Solomon then proves from experience, observation, dedication that a life lived without God is futile, empty, and pointless. Got A couple more minutes. Nothing else lasts. We got it. Everybody say, you got that? We got it. Over and over again, Pastor, right? We got it. If you, you do the, go to this outline again next week, we're going to pray for you right? Well, that'd be good, but we're to the text, okay? But we got that. Phillips, uh, down at the bottom, Reichen says, Ecclesiastes presents the emptiness of secular humanism, that a man can find meaning, satisfaction, everything needed within himself. Humanistic philosophy has never led mankind anywhere but into further confusion. And if you don't think so, just take a course on basic philosophy. and But be sure to take some aspirin with you. So Swindoll always has something good to say, doesn't he? Frankly, I'm pleased that we have this ancient book available today, today to set the record straight. All around us are people who are buying into this empty horizontal, who-needs-God perspective. Their postmodern world is strictly visible. Their whole frame of reference is humanistic. We see it lived out in soap operas every afternoon and in prime time every night. We hear it in political speech. We learn it from the halls of academia. Begg said, Solomon points out what life is like when trying to line up the squares of the Rubik's Cube with a couple of colors missing. Begg, what a guy. Riken so right here. Ecclesiastes, the American dream, is a lie and a failure. So Ecclesiastes gives us a bleak look into life, but the Spirit has purposed for inspiring this book to be written. He wants to expose the meaninglessness of this life in a cursed world in order to create a hunger for something better. Ecclesiastes wants to push us to faith and contentment. Contentment in God. So, I wanted to spend a lot of time on these last three benefits, but I'm going to mention them I want to read something because I've got a couple minutes left. Okay? Benefits of the book. Understanding how and why people lose hope. Why they lose hope in this life. And, oh my, oh my, oh my. For whatever was written in earlier times, Paul's referencing the, the old testament was written for our instruction so, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures. Encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? We might have hope. Look, look how he's not done with that later on in the same chapter. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is our hope? Our absolute, assured expectation that all of that God promises, he will provide. He will come through. Our hope is, is God and what he has for us one day when we're in his presence. Can you just say amen to that? Oh, do I have it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, it's so one my memory. Let me try. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions. They fail not. They are new every. Great is thy faithfulness. And I don't have 24, and I should have. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have What? You realize, you realize that's written in the context that all Jeremiah sees is death and destruction. City's been destroyed and people taken in captivity. All he sees is death and destruction. And he says, Oh, but this, this I recall to my mind. Do we need the scriptures in our mind or what? Therefore I have hope. Therefore I hope. God is not working against me, He's working for me, and He's working in me and he knows what he's doing, and he loves me. Amen, amen, amen? Yeah. So, deepens our burdens, our heart's burden for the lost. If we go through Ecclesiastes and we're not more more burdened for people who are up and outers and down and outers, deepens our burden for the lost And thirds. Help us to worship God alone and not things because we easily get caught up in stuff. Do we not? Amen? In stuff. So, let me just read this. And closing, and um, I will pray. This writer says our problem is believing that what Solomon is saying, uh, uh, that, we, that we really believe it. Here's his, here's his point. I've had, Solomon says I've had it all, done it all, it was meaningless. Most of us look at stories of stars who had it all and their life turned out to be a wreck. But we think if I would trade places with them, I'd do it in a heartbeat because I'd, I'd have all that money and that fame and I would know how to enjoy it. If I could trade places with the rich and powerful, I would appreciate it more and make the foolish decisions, not make the foolish decisions they make, and, and I'll just add here, and I'd even give part of it to the Lord. Solomon lovingly attempts to undercut that faulty thinking In modern vernacular, he exposes the emptiness of the American dream. If we would stop for a second, let go of our desire for more and more and more, and look at the many examples around us that are train wrecks, we would see that Ecclesiastes is right. We look at lives like Marilyn Monroe, Kurt Cobain, Robin Williams, and we see people who had everything this world says you could ever want, and it brought them nothing but pain and emptiness. And that's not just the case for the big-scale stars. It's also true for those around us on a smaller scale. I had a friend in high school who was rich. His dad owned several businesses, and so my friend lived in the nicest houses, in the nicest subdivision, and he drove the nicest car, and we always wanted to stay over at his house on the weekends to swim in his pool and play in his basement. But inevitably, as true of all teens, at 2 a.m., we got hungry. So we crept upstairs to raid the pantry, and we would find his mom passed out on the floor next to a wine glass because his dad never came home. His dad never came to his ball games, his school plays, and one day his dad said to him, I know I have been around, haven't been around for a whole lot, but that's the decision I've made in order to be able to make money and all of this possible. My friend and his family had everything the American dream sells, and they were miserable. Solomon pleads with us to not go that route. He says, I outdid everyone, and it was all meaningless. So what matters? You and eternity and your relationship to the God of heaven and to take as many people there with you as possible through the gospel. That's what matters, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Ecclesiastes, what is driving home. Help us to see the hopelessness that abounds in this world without the hope of knowing God and the confidence that he gives to us, the peace that he gives to us, the joy he gives to us in this life and in anticipation of the wonder of what's ahead. We thank you for that. And as we feed on your word, again, even in this next hour, and we look at Christ, we look at the one who came and laid down his life for sinners. Uh, May it enrich our hearts with with humility and with love of Christ for what he's done that motivates us to live for him and to love him and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors, we pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. amen.